When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, your morning pitching podcast from PitcherList.com. My name is Nick Pollock. Today is June 28th, and yes, we are going to talk about baseball. Julio Tehran's Vargas rule is has come to an end. 5.2 innings, 700 runs. Yep. If you have Tehran, you see the Pirates next. Nope. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. This is what the Vargas rule is. You had one side of the rule. You can't ignore the other side. But Gavin Williams against the Royals. Seven innings, zero runs, one hit, one walk, and six Ks. Ah, this was the guy I was hoping to see during the MLB debut. And it's why MLB debuts are just so strange that we have to give guys often another chance. And this was the Royals, which is the best second chance you can give a guy. But his fastball was so much better up in the zone here to eight whiffs after only inducing two against the Athletics in his MLB debut. And Gavin Williams found about 70% strikes between his slider and his curveball. Oh, that that that's all we need. That is it. Now, it's one start, and I've certainly seen a good outing from a young pitcher for it only to disappear, Tanner Bybee. Um, but the matchups against the Cubs and then the Royals again... Yeah, that's uh, something you want to 100% lean in on with Gavin Williams. The one wrinkle in this is that Cal Quantrill is returning on Friday to the Guardians. Why does that matter? Because it's a six-man rotation now. And Gavin Williams is the newest man in the rotation, which would suggest that he would be the one out. However, I think it actually benefits the Guardians massively to be in a six-man Considering that Gavin Williams is limited as far as innings goes, he's a young rookie. Same with Bybee and Allen. You want to make sure that they don't get overworked this year. Plus, you have Quantrill uh, coming back from injury. You have Aaron Savali coming back from injury. And then there's just Shane Bieber with his shoulder issues that he's had that's lowered his velocity in the last two years. So, it makes a lot of sense for them to be six-man. And I kind of hope that Gavin Williams does stick around. It might not be exactly the Cubs and Royals because it was then a five-man when I wrote that. So, we'll see. Uh, Brady Singer against the Guardians. Six innings, zero and runs, four hits, two walks, and three strikeouts. He is a cherry bomb, and you can't be a cherry bomb without the cherry. David Peterson against the Brewers. Six innings, zero and runs, five hits, three walks, and five Ks. He's back in the rotation, and it's good to see his location doing good things. It was a lot of fastballs up and uh, sliders and changeups and whatnot down. But I didn't really see a magical secondary pitch. The slider was the, that pitch for David Peterson in 2022. It's not anymore. Yeah, Giants and Padres, I don't really want to do this. Uh, Clint Kershaw is the Tatiaga as I wear my Tatiaga shirts. You would see that if you're on the Twitch stream today. Uh, and he was in course and it didn't matter because he's Tatiaga. So good job, Clint Kershaw. Ryan Walker opened for Alex Wood, going five innings of zero runs, five hits, zero walks, and seven strikeouts against the Jays, which is all kinds of surprising. Arguably the gold star of the day, uh, save for uh, David Peterson. But uh, the, the sinker and changeup separation was so nice in this, and I, I really dug that. 
I even the slider that wasn't a high strike pitch still was, you know, down in glove side as opposed to the sinker that was up in arm side. So there is a lot of good pitch separation that could really come out against the Mariners next time as well. But the problem is I don't really know if Alex Wood can consistently have that pitch separation. That's the only problem. So I don't know if I want to buy into this long term, but there might be a sneaky stream here for Alex Wood against the Mariners. Uh, Very risky in your 12-teamers. Ranger Suarez against the Cubs is on a Vargas roll of his own. A 7.1 innings, one earned run, four hits, one walk, eight Ks. It feels kind of weird calling it a Vargas roll because we've seen this multiple times from Suarez where he gets locked in for a good chunk of, say, like six weeks or something like that, seven or so. And then it's not really much anymore, but the Vargas rule implies that it's just never good. And all of a sudden it is right now. Now, Suarez is feeling it right now. You you keep starting him and just don't, don't stop until something actually uh, tells you to really uh sandy alcantara th- oh thank you thank you so much sandy the command was much better i mean overall it was just little tweaks as opposed to dramatic ones but the changeup did have nine whiffs here and that's so much better he threw a uh, 33 percent uh change up which is great uh the slider had a 46 percent csw uh sat over a tick harder as well and this is great. Thank you so much, Sandy Alcantara, for going seven innings, one earned run, and eight base runners and five Ks against the Red Sox for a win. That's everything you want. 16 whiffs, 35% CSW. So I want to believe that this is who he is now. However, we also have seen Sandy have good command one game and then not the next. So I'm not going to just sit here and say, aha, this is it. But I will say it felt very good. I've been telling you I just traded for Sandy Alcantara that he actually did well in the first one, but... We don't take victory laps. It would be so, super foolish to me to say, like, ha, see, I was so smart for the rest of the year. This is one outing. Jordan Montgomery against the Astros got the win. 6.2 innings, one earned run, six hits, one walk, and six strikeouts. Look at that from the bear. I called Jormont the bear after the Game of Thrones character. And now he gets the Marlins and the White Sox. And if Jordan Montgomery is out there, I know that a lot of teams have likely, or leagues have, Drafted Jordan Montgomery and just not let him go through the year because he's a Toby. But I imagine in some leagues that Jordan Montgomery is out there. And now he gets the Marlins and the White Sox. And that seems relatively safe for Jordan Montgomery. Shoei Otani against the White Sox. I was expecting to see the slider really come back into action. And we didn't really get that. Uh, it was an amazing outing. 6.1 innings, one run, four hits, two walks, 10 Ks. But Otani's sweeper had 10 over 24 strikes for 17% CSW. What? Get that thing in order. Nick, does not matter? You just had 22 strikeouts and two straight starts? Yes! Sustainability. I mean, sure, I'm happy the four-seamer and the cutter are doing great things. It's just the slider is supposed to be the thing. And the splitter also had, I think, five whiffs in this. It, it's so it's so weird. It, it, it's not the story of Otani, I think, for sustained success. Maybe it's just that good of a cutter and forcing I just got to be stupid about this. Or I am being stupid about this. Um, there are a lot of other guys to talk about. I wrote a lot about, say, Brian Wu and Andrew Abbott and Kevin Gosman and Paul, Paul Blackburn. Paulie Punchouts. And we're going to talk about all of those guys and, of course, today and tomorrow's games after this break. Are you ready to step up to the plate and show off your fantasy baseball skills? Check out Underdog's Fantasy 7th Inning Stretch Tournament from now through July 14th, where you can build your dream team and compete against your friends for the $150,000 in total prizes. 
So what are you waiting for? Visit the link in the episode description and use promo code PITCHERLESS to receive 100% deposit match up to $100. Join us in the seventh inning stretch tournament and experience the thrill of fantasy baseball like never before on Underdog. Good luck and may the best team win. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 and older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncp.com gambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. Andrew Abbott went six innings, one and run, two hits, three walks, eight Ks. And I've been saying it's smoke and mirrors, and yet here he is just doing well again as I look like a dunce. And it's part of the reason why I didn't lower Abbott massively. Uh, I mean, how could I? I was like, look, he just had 10 strikeouts in, in cores. I don't really think that I buy this, but maybe I'm missing something. So I'm going to keep him um, relatively high. Like he's inside the top 60, you know, like he should be rostered on your teams, right? I'm not saying in any way for you to drop him. So Andrew Abbott did the Blake Snell blueprint here. Um, the changeup was much better landing in and out of the zone at a 32% CSW, even though it had a low strike rate. I think that Generally, Abbott having those low changeups, even if they didn't earn strikes, opened the door for more of those fastballs up. And there's a difference between um, just general strike rate and then also being around where you want to be with the pitch. Because if it's super wild versus going where you want it to go and just not getting the swing, you can sequence with that. If you, let's say you throw a changeup that is so wildly out of the zone and you don't have it, the batter's going to think he's not going to throw a second one because the, he clearly doesn't have the feel for that or he like bounces it. But if you throw a changeup that's right under the zone and that's a good take from the batter, uh, then you you know then you still think, oh man, maybe he goes back to it a second time because he's feeling it and I can't quite sell it for a fastball now because he might double up on that, right? So... That's what Abbott did here, and don't underrate the the low strike rate this time for, for Abbott. I talk about strike rates a lot. It's very important. Um, it's part of the reason why I had three walks, but there are times when it's still productive despite the lower strike rate, and that was the case here for Abbott. I also didn't really think that that changeup before the start was really a big factor. I thought that was more four seamers and curveballs doing all the stuff, and to see that changeup kind of wake up and do good things here while the four seamer really excelled upstairs. Now I'm starting to believe in Abbott a bit more, um, especially with the Nationals and Brewers uh, as the next two. So uh, I this could be a very, uh, you know, one of those situations, which has happened many a time before, where I see a young pitcher, I'm not really too impressed by him, but then he just performs well. And um, I was likely missing something, but honestly, now I think it's a skill set that is different and more believable to me. So I'm curious about this with Abbott, and especially with those two good matchups, like you have to Keep holding on to him and starting him there. Uh, Kevin Gosman against the Giants. Six innings, one run, three hits, one walk in 12 Ks. 22 whiffs, 36% CSW for a golden goal. Finally, I've been actually saying it's kind of funny. Um, ha. Uh, of other starters where a lot of aces this year haven't really been those de facto studs this year. But because Kevin Gosman has had a couple of these outings... I've been saying, hey, he hasn't been a stud lately, but I imagine he will again very soon. And what do you know? There it is. But what's so strange is that Kevin Gosman only had six whiffs on his splitter. That's usually the one that is the catalyst 
for all this success was six over 35 whiffs for just a 26% CSW, which is absolutely wild. Um, but the the slider and the and the forcing were both stellar. Yeah, the slider for Gosman, which is so strange. And I imagine the the splitter improves moving forward. Um, uh, Paul Blackburn, uh, Pauly punchouts against the Yankees, got the win. 5.1 innings, one run, four hits, one walk, and five Ks. Uh, 12 whiffs, 30% to CSW against the Yankees. That's exactly what you want. He has a five-pitch mix um, with his kitchen sink stuff. And it's five plus innings here, and that's that's it. That that's all you want from Paul Blackburn. The White Sox are next, and that could actually be a really nice uh, conclusion to this two-star week for Paulie Punchouts. Uh, Brian Wu against the Nationals, five innings, one earned run, six hits, uh, one walk, and seven strikeouts, uh, twelve whiffs, and a thirty-one percent CSW. The four seam were still so good. This was insane. 87% strikes on the four-seamer as the Nationals just couldn't do anything with it. 35% CSW, and that's great. I love that. I'm so curious because maybe Wu should be throwing more than 50% fastballs. I mean, maybe she should go the Bryce Miller route of 70% because the slider is so bad. 7 over 16 strikes is not good enough, and the changeup was just not really a thing either, and I didn't even remember that he had a changeup. I thought it was just really just four-seamer sinker slider. So uh, we're going to keep going because the four-seamer is that good. And Fast asked me on the podcast, on the OTC, like, who's better, Wu or Miller? And I, or Bryce Miller. And I thought, yeah, of course, Bryce Miller. The fastball is just that good. But yeah, Brian Wu's is also really good. So um, so yeah, we'll see. I keep starting Brian Wu right now. He was the stream pick of the day yesterday for both me and PLBot. So it's nice to agree with PLBot. At sometimes, and also I just I honestly prefer when I don't choose the thing that PLBot does, and the guy does great. And it's like, oh man, look at that extra perspective that is totally different and still very good. I hope I'm very good. Anyway, Bryce Elder against the Twins got the win, six innings, two earned runs, four hits, four walks, and four strikeouts. Uh, yep, that's the Vargas rule. We keep going there. Same with Tyler Wells, really, but it's just elevated because this was against the Reds and just does not matter. Uh, six innings, two earned runs, four hits, one walk, seven Ks. I uh, I had a <laughs> I'll be honest with you guys. I, I normally don't do this, but um I was doing the roundup last night, and there are times when I'm writing it where I don't know if it makes sense, and then it does, and then it doesn't, and it doesn't, it doesn't, and then if it does for like any moment, I just kind of say, you know what, I'm just gonna let it run. And what I said was, were you worried about the hot Reds offense? Lesson learned, and this is the lesson. All decisions and Wells. And I, does that make sense? As in like someone is making a decision and they say Wells. That's how it ends. But also all decisions all end all ends well. I don't know. I'm dumb. I don't know why I brought this up on the podcast. But that's because I care about you. The reader, the listener. I, I feel like this is a community effort. All right. Um, Martin Perez against the Tigers. Six innings, two in runs, four hits, two walks, four Ks. He's a Toby, so we did that, right? That makes sense. It's that easy to play fantasy baseball. Johnny Brito, I want to say Brito for some reason, against the Oakland Athletics. 5.2 innings, two in runs, four hits, two walks, and two Ks. I know, it's very close to some dry toast. Eight whiffs, 22% CSW. Honestly, this is exactly what you're hoping for. He was almost a stream pick of the day if it weren't for, uh... Uh, Brian Wu, but yeah, I mean, this is exactly what we're going for, except he didn't get the win because the Yankee offense is stupid and Polly Punchouts 
uh, that is Paul Blackburn, uh, did better than him. But yeah, I mean, this is exactly what Brito does. He throws these fastballs and they get outs and that's that. He gives you an opportunity for a win if they are getting the, the lead at the end of the fifth. It is the Cardinals next. And that's fine. Um, it feels like a coin flip where the reward isn't that good. Um, but yeah, that's okay. Uh, Matt Manning against the Rangers came back from the IL, and I was really hoping to see 94-95. I feel like Matt Manning is someone that can do well at 94-95 and with his fastball. And I remember actually when he first came up, I was so excited about the curveball, and the curveball's just not the thing. Um, yeah, no, I'm not really a big fan of this. I... He did well against the Rangers relatively, right? 5.2 innings of 200 runs, 3 hits, 4 walks, 4 Ks. The Rangers have been very strange. They had a strange season or series with the Yankees. And to see the fastball go 33% CSW against a good Texas offense as a right-hander is good. But it was 93.5 and and there were a lot of those wild pitches. That is, I see this a lot where... Um, Sometimes guys are effectively wild where like they'll have a bounced slider or a fastball that's so far out of the zone and it's clearly bad command, but then they actually everything else is really good and it feels like my beard right now, which is really good except for these scraggly barbed wire elements that, that go out. But then there are other times when the guys are absolutely just wild and that's when, of course, I have a bird living inside of that beard, right? And I, I feel like it was more the first part um, of, yeah, he was just... Uh, there was overall decent command, and then there was these really weird ones. And you generally do see that from guys coming back from extended periods off. That is either from an IL stint or um, just getting a skip start or something like that, uh, where they need to iron it out and be more consistent, and you just have not been in that rhythm. Um, so I hope Matt Manning gets back to it, but I just also don't see much of a ceiling for Matt Manning for you to chase in a 12-teamer. I don't really know why I spent so much time on Matt Manning, but that's life. Uh, Michael Kopech against the Angels. Four innings, two earned runs, four hits, seven walks. And three hits. He had 15 whiffs and seven walks. Uh, 24% CSW. Um, he threw 37 secondaries. Okay, this is between the slider and the curveball. And he threw 35% strikes. You can't do that. Like You, you, you cannot do that in the major leagues. That's just, you're not going to have success. So, yeah, that was against the Angels. He gets the Oakland Athletics next. Fine. I guess I guess we do that because he should be better with his slider and his... Was it a cutter? I think it was. No, I think it was the curveball. Regardless, it's. I mean, Michael Kopech's really a slider uh, fastball guy. And, you know, he added something else because the slider was that bad. It doesn't really matter. It's not going to be a thing. So, yeah. Good luck. Um, Jake Irvin against the Mariners did keep the velocity. So uh, it was at 95 again instead of 93. 5.2 innings, 300 runs, 5 hits, 2 walks, 4 Ks. I think this is very interesting. I also wonder if at the trade deadline, the Nationals are sellers again. And there could be something very, very interesting. I know Mackenzie Gore's there. They don't really want to give him up. He's not really that kind of guy that... Uh, teams that are rebuilding trade away. Still, I can imagine a deal that involves Jake Irvin in some fashion where it's kind of like the secondary piece to something else. I'm trying to think of the Nationals and who they would sell right now, and I can't really think of it off the top of my head, but I'm sure there is someone. And I do wonder if Jake Irvin goes somewhere else in, in a deal that allows him to get a secondary pitch that is actually good 
and then pairs with this fastball. And I do say that watching Jake Irvin is actually kind of peaceful. Um, there are certain pitchers, Zach Wheeler is one of them, where I watch their command and I watch their mechanics and it just feels nice and easy. And, you know, the ball comes out of their hand and the fastball goes right to the outside corner as it should on a straight line. And it's like Mike, Mark Pryor back in the day, like a laser. So I think that does open the door for Jake Irvin to actually develop a slider or a changeup or a cutter or something that is matched with that effectively. So I don't know. If Jake Irvin gets dealt at the trade deadline, there may be something legitimate um, that, you know, the first start or two, they'll probably be like, cool, just do your thing. And then Jake Irvin in a bullpen is like, cool, I want to talk to this guy with that cutter or something, and they change it and whatever. I don't know. He's someone to take note of, I think, with the increased velocity. Dynasty leagues, maybe there might be something if he does switch teams. I uh, Zach Gallen against the, the Rays, uh, six innings, four runs, five hits, two walks, and four Ks. Um, yep. Pretty dang good, save for the four earned runs. Uh, four seamer was everything here for 43% CSW and an 84% strike rate. Unfortunately, he just didn't have his slider, sorry, his cutter or his curve, and the changeup wasn't really there. The curve had a sub 50% strike rate on it, which is very atypical. Um, Fertree, by the way, mentions in chat hey, Jake Irvin's a rookie. I really don't think that the Nationals are going to trade him. That's a very good point. We've also seen trades in the past where these periphery players that, I mean, maybe the Nationals think like, look, long-term Jake Irvin is a very big part of our organization. I don't know if they consider that right now. Uh, Maybe they do. Um, But we have seen deals in the past that have involved other pitchers or something like, or other prospects where they say, cool, yeah, just give us Jake Irvin. We'll give you this better one too. And then there'll also be this other thing. So Jake Irvin feels like one of those guys that would be included in a trade when there's someone bigger involved. Just a thought. But yeah, could be very much be the Nationals just don't give him away, which means I don't really care about Jake Irvin because I don't believe in the Nationals' long-term development. But just just monitor the guy. Uh, Rich Hill against the Padres, six innings, four runs, nine hits, two walks, and four Ks. Yeah, he didn't do well against the weak teams. I'm glad he went six innings, but like this is worse than a very, very, very poor quality start because it's four and runs and not three. Okay. Framber Valdez did not do well against the Cardinals. Six innings, four and runs, eight hits, three walks, and six Ks. Very frustrating here as just like Rich Hill, this is worse than a very, very, very poor quality start. And the Cardinals, what? Don't wake up. You're supposed to be bad. So that's just, just what it is. Um... Yeah, I, I think he's going to be completely fine moving forward. We just move on. Uh, Connor Siebold against the Dodgers. Absolutely not. Uh, in cores, of course. Uh, Jameson Tyne went eight strikeouts against the Phillies across five innings with five earned runs, seven hits, and one walk. He didn't earn three whiffs, or sorry, four whiffs on a single pitch. It was all three or lower, which is really frustrating. And so, so nothing is really sustainable here for Tyone for me to latch onto, which is so annoying because back in the day, man, back in the day, Tyone had a really good slider that he introduced in May. He had this big curveball that I really liked and the, and the sinkers inside and a good, it, it, the whole thing kind of worked with him. And I feel as if post Tommy John, he's, he's tried to figure it out again and it just hasn't quite locked in. You know, it's, uh, and I feel for him because he had this potential, he had it there, and he had this massive setback, and he just hasn't quite gotten back to it. Uh, I, I really, really hope he can. I love the guy, too. Um, 
like one of the nicer guys you'll find in the, in the majors. Uh, he's also a little bit of a nerd, especially coffee nerd. <laughs> but it's it, but the thing is about Jameson Time I do want to focus on is that there are a lot of pitchers that we see and we um, analyze who kind of do what they try and do and they force it. And Tyone is someone who's constantly trying to figure this out, try to find that rhythm. And to get eight strikeouts is not an easy thing to do. So there is something there. I, uh, you know, he's going to keep tinkering, keep working on stuff. I mean, for example, the new slider that he had this year is like, yeah, he, uh, you know, he went and worked on that. So he's never, uh, you know, he's never slowing down. He's, I imagine at some point, Jameson Ty is going to have something new and different, and that's going to be very exciting. I think for your 12-teamers right now, you you really can't bank on that for the next start in the short term. Uh, Reese Neer had to step in because you Darvish was scratched with an illness. Nothing serious. He'll be back on his feet. That's just how it is. It could be even today that Darvish is starting. Maybe it's tomorrow. Um, so really don't, uh, don't worry too much about Darvish. Uh, Garrett Whitlock against the Marlins, 4.2 innings, 6 earned runs, 11 hits, 0 walks, and 7 Ks. Very disappointing. And these last three are all very disappointing as we're over 20 minutes. You're getting a lot today. I feel like there's a lot to talk about, you know? I remember doing the roundup last night. I felt like I had to write a massive paragraph on everyone. Uh, so, yeah, Garrett Whitlock, Taz Bradley, and Joe Ryan, all massive disappointments. Who do we believe are going to be fine? All of them. I mean, Joe Ryan, whatever. I can get rid of that one quickly. That's six innings. Sorry, three innings, six earned runs. Four seamer just went three over 40 whiffs. Well, for whatever reason, the sweeper was just not there. Um, actually, in the chat, it was really, really uh, rewarding. Uh, someone was watching the YouTube breakdowns that I do, saying, hey, they're looking at the game differently, and uh, said, look, this was RZ. Um, look, there was a 2-1 pitch coming from Joe Ryan that was so obviously going to be a fastball, and if he had just thrown a slider inside the zone, he would have gone free real estate and we would have gone into a 2-2 count, but because it threw a fastball, Sean Murphy took it yard. And I was watching that being like, man, he shouldn't have thrown that fastball because the sequencing called for something else. And But the thing is, Joe Ryan didn't have anything else, right? So if he didn't have it, uh, you know, if he didn't have faith in it, then he has to throw the fastball and the fastball wasn't as good and bam, there's a home run. And watching the game with that eye um, is something everyone can do. And uh, I'm very fortunate that I, you know, I played for a while and I, I am able to watch the game as much as I can. Um, but I, I think that everyone listening right now, uh, there, there's something so rewarding and fun about watching the, watching each at bat from these guys, knowing what the pitcher is good at and has and does, and then watching what the hitter is reacting to and the tension of every single pitch. You'd be surprised how many of these home runs are clear or like mistakes and clear stories to them while some of them are just unreal and you're like what how and if you can discern between the two of those uh, you'll be surprised how much better you are as uh, to predict success and failures in the future okay it's what PLV does really well by the way um, and it's one of my favorite things about it is that it's able to discern those stories that are home runs like yeah that that's how that should have gone or Man, that was a crazy one. That shouldn't have been a home run. Uh, Shoei Otani, what are you doing with those? Anyway, lots of rambles today. Hi, we're 26 minutes in. It's fine. Uh, you needed a 30-minute podcast today, didn't you? I got you. So Joe Ryan, don't worry about it. He should be much better. It's so weird to see four-seamers not getting whiffs. Sweeper did go 71% strike rate and 43% CW, but he didn't know that early in the game, so he didn't throw in the 2-1 count there. Um, and the splitter was honestly uh, placed really well. 
um, inside the zone. Here's the thing that's crazy, though. I uh, Once again, uh, Joe Ryan, I'm saying, look, the four-seamer, three out of 40 whiffs, that was the problem. He allowed eight hits in this game, or really nine of them, and four of them came on the heater. Just four. So, <laughs> yeah, the heater's still so, so good, okay? And those secondaries, sure, they, they did well CSW-wise, gaining strikes, but they are ultimately still not the elite pitches that we want them to be, okay? Cool. Garrett Whitlock, right, what's going on here? This was against Miami, 4.2 innings. Look, he had seven strikeouts and zero walks against Miami, and yet it was 11 hits for six earned runs. What? I, I I just, this is weird, man. He got singled out. I know there was a home run or two. Um, but, uh, I mean, even the first inning was 300 runs with a two-run shot and then a single and a double. Um, I think I didn't get that backwards. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's weird. And I imagine a lot of you are like, oh, he had four runs before and now it's six. And, Nick, why do you like Garrett Whitlock? Do you remember your excitement after the last one on how Garrett Whitlock was so good and it was very unfortunate for him? I Yeah, it felt like this, again... I mean, sure, it was a bad first inning, and then it was, what, 300 runs across four innings after that, which isn't so bad, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to justify it, and I'm doing a terrible job. Just to keep starting Whitlock. I'm telling you right now, his stuff is really good. His command, I guess, was a little bit worse than it was normally, but it's the Jays next, and that's actually really tough. I kind of want to still do it anyway. Uh, I'll probably have him the top of questionable start in that one. I think that Gary Whitlock's stuff is just so good. Um, and also, when I change up is much better than what it was yesterday. It is like Marco Estrada's changeup, and I know some of you are like, wait, I don't actually know Marco Estrada as I feel very old, even though it was like six, seven years ago. Um, it is a slow one that takes forever to get to the plate, and guys get so far out in front of it, and it's glorious, and it helps them get through games because guys are either swinging over it or they are grounding it out quickly. Um, Garrett Wedlock is really good. Uh, don't let these two starts really push you back on that. And Taj Bradley... Um, oh man, I'm going to get to 30 minutes before I uh, get to today's and tomorrow's start. This is fun. Dodge Bradley against the Diamondbacks. Four innings, six earned runs, seven hits, one walk, and two strikeouts. What on earth? <laughs> His four-seamer was thrown 37 times, okay? Take take a moment and think, all right, how many whiffs are we going to get from that pitch? It's Dodge Bradley, right? Uh, zero. Zero, zero, zero. Uh, 0.4 mile per hour, harder than usual, which is strange, uh, to see zero whiffs on, I don't quite get it. Um, maybe there was some tipping or something because this is just weird. Uh, the cutter didn't do very well with just two out of 25% CSW. That's an 8% mark. And sure, the, the curve wasn't as stellar as before, the changeup that we saw in the previous one, but like, this is weird, man. Uh, and especially after seeing the best version of Taj Bradley last time out. The good news is that Taj Bradley gets the Mariners next. And uh, oh, so a right-hander with... An, just just right-hander against the Mariners is really good because it just makes your secondaries better. And you can see it either way you want. If you have a great secondary pitch, then the Mariners are going to make that as good as possible and you can cruise. If you don't have a great secondary pitch, the Mariners will make it look better. You know, you want to be a right-hander starting against the Mariners. So you're obviously going for that. This is so weird and strange. And once again, I gotta say, my comp for Taj Bradley is Tyler Glasnow, and I feel like that's holding strong. So, that's a good comp to have, though. So, we're gonna keep going with Taj Bradley. Alright, looking forward to today and tomorrow's games. If you're still here, you guys are the very, very, very best. Uh, Blake Snell, Aaron Nola, Logan Gilbert, Christian Javier, 
Braxton Garrett, Zach Eflin, Mitch Keller, Lucas Giolito, and Logan Webb are all in your auto starts. In the probable start, you have Logan Allen, Domingo Herman, J.P. Sears, and Kodai Senga. Again, pretty straightforward stuff. Uh, those are really good matches matchups for all four of those. I'm still going to go with Domingo Herman after the recent struggles and Logan Allen against the Royals and so on and so forth. Questionable start tier, Jaime Berea, Kenta Maeda, Wade Miley, Dane Dunning, and Drew Smiley. I don't really want to start any of these. Maeda gets the gets Atlanta. Uh, sorry, Kenta Maeda gets the gets Atlanta. Wade Miley gets the Mets. Dan Dunning does get the Tigers. I just don't think he's that good. Uh, Jaime Berea against the White Sox is an interesting one because the White Sox are bad against second uh, against uh, sliders from right-handers. But Berea, I don't know how stretched out he is. I don't know if that's really going to be enough for him. While Drew Smiley just gets that curveball down, he should be good. And the do not start tier, Kyle Gibson gets the hot reds. And he's already a wild card. And this just adds a little bit more floor to it that I don't like. Miles Michaelis against the Astros. Zach, Zach Davies against the, the Rays. Austin Cox is kind of interesting. I watched more of him. He's a lefty. The only throw was like 92-93, but he had 8 over 24 whiffs against the Rays with that fastball, which is very strange. So I'm going to see how this plays out against the Guardians. Kyle Freeland against the Dodgers, uh, Joey Wentz against the Rangers, Patrick Corbin against the Mariners, Trevor Richards against the Giants, Luke Weaver against Baltimore, Colby Allard against the Twins, Michael Grove in Coors, and Chris Murphy or uh, uh, Ort against the uh, the Marlins. The whole thing, just don't do that. Looking forward to tomorrow's games. It's Max Scherzer, Joe Musgrove, Shane Bieber, Jesus Lazardo, and Brian Bayo. All his auto starts. Yes, Bayo is in there because he's a Marlin. Sorry, he is going against the Marlins. Jesus Lazardo is on the other side. He actually has the toughest matchup here against the Red Sox. And that's why he's underneath Shane Bieber, who gets the Royals, who just had the best start we've seen from him all season long. Uh, probable start tier is John Gray, Chris Bassett, J.P. France, Clark Schmidt, Taiwan Walker, Lance Lynn, Kyle Hendricks, and Patrick Sandoval. Uh, Gray gets the Tigers, so fine. Uh, Bassett against the Giants. Yeah, we just do it. I, I know Bassett is weird right now, and he's not doing as well, and all that kind of stuff. The sinker's not getting as down as much, and the curveball isn't as good, and he's not getting as many swing strikes, and the fastball, blah, 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 blah. I feel like it's like two or three starts from everything normalizing, and I think Chris Bassett is just generally good enough to do this. Uh, JP France against the Cardinals is my stream pick of the day, as I think that the Cardinals aren't very good, even though they messed up... Um, who was it yesterday? They messed up somebody yesterday a little bit. Uh, Framber Valdez. There we go. And uh, France is your steady Toby again for the Astros. He does enough here. I think this is a pretty decent one. Uh, Clark Schmidt against the Athletics is also of consideration, but I just think that France is just a little bit more refined as a pitcher. Uh, Tywin Walker against the Cubs, I guess you're considering because it's like 93 miles per hour. Um, and or maybe it's 94 or maybe it's 92. And maybe we'll see 40% splitters and maybe a cutter. I don't know what we're going to get. But it's the Cubs, and I guess you're just going to do that. The bottom three here are very interesting because you have Lance Lynn against the Angels after essentially doing really well despite not having his secondaries in the last one. It's just a bad cutter to uh, Tristan Cassis, and that was it. Um, that messed up that start. But the reason he had 16 strikeouts is because Lance Lynn had all of those secondaries working. That is the, the slider, the curve, the change. And he didn't have it last time. So I don't really know if you will against the Angels. Just don't throw inside to Otani. Like, try as hard as you can to throw all the breaking stuff away from Otani. He's so good at turning his bat inside to the cutter inside. Like, he's just so good at that. So please, just anything but that Lance Lynn. Um, Kyle Hendricks has his command working with his changeup and his sinker, but he doesn't have his curveball, and the Phillies can be dangerous, so be careful. Um, but I think I'm still going to go with that. And Patrick Sandoval against the White Sox. It's the White Sox who whiff a lot. So he did well against the Mariners. I mean, he got a lot of whiffs against the Mariners. Didn't necessarily do well. It was five runs, but 20 whiffs. 
And I want to believe that Patrick Sandoval is worth your time here against the White Sox. Just throw changeups away to Luis Robert and you should be fine. Um, questionable start tier, you have James Caprillion against the Yankees, and that's it here. Because James Caprillion is lowering his velocity to get more control, which is really good to see with his fastball and his slider. Um, but I'm not totally sold yet that this is good enough and consistent enough, but it's been two starts of that. And that's why it's questionable. The Yankee offense isn't too good. And the do not start tier. Um, I had some guys that actually really considered pushing into the questionable start tier. It's four of them. But I just think the matchups are too bad that you just can't do it. So Emmett Sheehan is inside cores. Luis Ortiz is against the Padres. Reese Olson is against the Rangers. And Tommy Henry against the Rays. If any of those had good matchups, like Sheehan could jump all the way to uh, probable start if it were uh, a good matchup. Luis Ortiz, probably in questionable. Same with Reese Olson. Reese Olsen, actually, if he had like a lovely matchup, would be improbable at this point. And Tommy Henry would be on the verge of it. But I, I just worry too much uh, against the Rangers, and I think that's harder for Reese Olsen than Ortiz against the Padres. Makes sense? Cool. But uh, Ortiz could just like chuck fastballs in there and have a decent enough slider and make that work. Just good luck. Uh, Adrian Hauser could also do the same thing by chucking fastballs against the Mets, but no thank you. Johnny Torinos has had some moments of bliss when the splitter returns and the sinker and slider somehow avoid damage, but this is Dimebacks and they're very dangerous, so no thank you. Zach Greinke against the Guardians, Adam Wainwright against the Astros, Chase Anderson against the Dodgers, and Ross Stripling against the Jays. That is it for today. I made no edits in this. I don't know if you know this. The Twitch stream, uh, what they do is they bet every day to see if I'm going to mess up during the podcast. And guess what? No, I did not. Not once. So thanks a lot for being here, guys. Y'all are the best. But that is it. So my name is Nick Pollock. Thanks for letting me do a very long Plus Pitch podcast. And may your babs be low and your strikeouts high.